All right, so we are in a sermon series called Come and See, Jesus in the Gospel of John. And uh, what we're doing in this series is we're walking through the Gospel of John and asking of each successive passage what it tells us about who Jesus is and what that means for us. And today we uh, come to John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. So why don't you turn there now in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, your Bible apps. Uh, I think this is going to be a good passage for you to have right in front of you uh, throughout the sermon because uh, it's kind of, for me, a complex text, and I end up following it line by line. And and so if you have it in front of you, it will come in very handy in that manner. Uh, This is a text where we see Jesus draw some people to himself. Uh, He draws some Greeks, and, and, and he tells us that he's going to draw all kinds of people to himself. And he's going to bring glory to God, and he's going to do this in the most counterintuitive way. He's going to do it through the cross. Uh, And that's hard, and so we're going to see Jesus wrestle with that decision. Uh, uh, And I find that really encouraging, as we'll unpack in some ways, because it makes it okay for us to wrestle with this stuff. And we're going to hear an invitation to allow Jesus to draw us and to walk in the light. And we're going to see that, that in many ways this is a limited time offer. So let's dig in. John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. I should also note, this is Jesus' last public teaching in the Gospel of John. We're going to have a couple of chapters of private teaching, but this is his last public teaching. And that tells you it's something worth paying particular attention to. But John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Listen for God's holy word to you. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is magnetic. He, he draws people. He draws all kinds of people, people from east and west and north and south, and he's been doing this throughout history. Uh, to this day, there has never been anybody as magnetic as Jesus. Right now, there are more people worshiping Jesus in some way, shape, and form, in some place this weekend than anybody in history. Jesus draws people. And we get a foretaste of that in this passage. It's not just Jews. Some, some Greeks come and they want to see Jesus. Uh, if you are in the preaching business, you'll note that there are some pews that will have that verse written on the, some pulpits, I should say. There are some pulpits that have that verse. We would see Jesus. It's a reminder of my job. Now, the text, we're, we're not sure if these are ethnic Greeks or they're Greek-speaking Jews from the diaspora. I, I tend to lean toward the former, meaning I think they're, they're probably ethnic Greeks. And I think this for two reasons. I think it partly because um, we think this happened in the courtyard of the Gentiles, and Greek-speaking Jews could have gone further in. But I also think it because of who they approach in order to get to Jesus. They approach Philip. And Philip, as you see, is a Greek name. Now, Philip was a Jew, but he had a Greek name. And he was from Bethsaida, an area that had lots of Greeks. And so these guys come to Philip because they know that he knows Jesus and can get them in front of him. Don't miss that. Because that's a call on you. Right? People want to see Jesus. They're just not sure how to get to him. But they know how to get to you. And they count on you to get them to Jesus. And if it hasn't happened, maybe you should ask yourself why. Because Jesus is magnetic through you. Anyway, Philip gets their request, and he decides to cross-check this request with Andrew. And we're not sure why he goes to Andrew, and lots of people want to be critical of Philip for going to Andrew. I don't think we should be critical. Jesus, Jesus wants ministry to be done in partnership. He sends his disciples out two by two. It's very possible that Philip and Andrew had been paired together before to go tell people about Jesus. It, it, we can partner with people. We can pray about how to get people in front of Jesus. It's okay to do. And that's what happens here is they, they meet, they cross-check, and they go to Jesus together. Philip and Andrew go to Jesus. And then something fascinating happens. We don't get told whether or not Jesus actually ever met with these guys. Did you notice that? There's all this effort. There's all this buildup. These people want to see Jesus. And then instead of talking to them, though presumably he did, what Jesus does is he goes, oh, my hour has come. 
It feels like a non sequitur, but you need to pay attention through all of John that time matters, that Jesus has been building toward a specific hour, toward a specific time when he's going to, to do something. We heard this in John chapter 2 when Jesus turns water into wine. Right before he does it, he tells his mother, why do you bother me? My hour has not yet come. And I won't unpack that today, but, but he, just notice there's that reference to the hour. And, and you see it again in John chapter 7. Jesus and his brothers are talking, and, and he says, my time hasn't yet come. And a little later in chapter 7, and again in chapter 8, there are these people who are hostile and they want to kill Jesus, but Jesus just walks through them and the text tells us that he just walked through them. They couldn't lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But now, now because some Greeks want to meet with him, he says his hour has come. And what is this hour? What is this time? What's it time for? What's Jesus been building up to all this time? Look at your text. It's time for him to be glorified take take note of that word jesus doesn't say it's time for him to be crucified he says it's time for him to be glorified uh, even though he knows that it's actually time for him to be crucified and he's told us over and over again he's going to be crucified but it's by being crucified that he will be glorified and this doesn't make any sense to a lot of people it made no sense to people in those days because crucifixion was the last thing you would associate with glory I, don't blow past this we, we want to blow past this because because nowadays we see glorious crosses we wear glorious crosses. We sing about the wonderful cross, but that concept in Jesus' day, before Jesus, was utterly foreign. The cross was this gross horror that was meant to shame people. It was, it was death on display. And the idea of it, of it being glorious is like saying a noose. Like saying a lynching. Like, like, like saying a guillotine. Like saying an electric chair. Oh, that's glorious. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? How glorious, how marvelous. But Jesus changes this, this, this gross display of death, and he changes it into a gateway to life. And it brings, it brings glory. He's going to be glorified through the cross. And we need, to, we need to pay attention to this. Jesus illustrates what's going to happen here. He helps us dive back into it by talking about a seed. By talking about a kernel of wheat. Uh, and a seed that doesn't die, that isn't planted, it just sits there and nothing comes of it. But if you plant it and you give it time, what happens? It sprouts, it grows, and it produces a whole bunch more seeds. And Jesus says that, that that's what happens 
through the cross. And we need to know this. Because Jesus goes on in this passage to say, hey, if you don't hate your life, if you're not willing to die, if you're not willing to pick up your cross daily and follow me, if, you don't, if you're not going to serve me, you're going to miss out. And Jesus, lots of places, says that, that if we would come after him, if we would be honored by his Father, if, if we would have eternal life, we have to die. We have to die to ourselves. We have to go to the cross and die to our daily desires. And, and, and that's the only way we get eternal life. And you're going, great, that's easier said than done, John, right? And that's why I actually take a little comfort in the fact that Jesus wrestled with this. Because you notice what Jesus says next in the text. He says, at this my soul is troubled. This can be a little bit confusing. Because in a couple of chapters, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus, uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount, will say, do not worry. And what we learn here through this text is, is that worry, anxiety, being troubled is not in and of itself sinful. It's kind of like fear. Scripture tells us all the time, don't be afraid. But have any of you ever been afraid? Bravery is going forward in the face of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward despite it. And the same thing is true about faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's not the absence of anxiety. It's not the absence of a question and a troubled soul. No, it's moving forward despite that. Even in the face of it. And, and, and Jesus does that here. He's like, my soul is troubled, but this is why I came. I came to die. And not just to die, I came to glorify the Father. That's why I'm here. And I, I, I want you again, I mentioned it earlier, I want you again to say, why does Jesus die here? I, I really want you to notice he dies to bring glory to God's name. I know what you expected me to say right there. He died to save you. That was not his first and foremost purpose. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about the glory of God. Jesus died to bring glory to God. The cross and you and I are a means to that. The cross in and of itself is not glorious. It's a gross horror shame, but the salvation that it brings is a glory. And this is important because it talks about your purpose and my purpose in this life. We live for the glory of God. We are saved for the glory of God. We are to live, as some people have put it, S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. In English, the letters don't flow. 
but to the glory of God alone. That's, that's why we live. That's our purpose. That's what we do. Uh, and our text tells us how that happens. A voice from heaven says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And some people heard thunder, and some people said, no, that was an angel, and there's all this debate about all this stuff going on. And then Jesus says, no, that, that, that voice was for you. And why did that voice speak? Why did it say what it did? I, I want you to look at this text, because this is really interesting. It says, that voice spoke because now, now is the hour for the world to be judged. You know that he's coming again to judge the quick and the dead, right? You know you're going to be judged, and what is the basis of that judgment? It's Jesus. But what's Jesus all about? Bringing glory to God. And so the question is going to be, are you bringing glory to God or not? And, and here's the amazing thing, is the text goes on to tell us why you now have the opportunity to bring glory to God. Because the prince of this world has been driven out. And we could have a whole long sermon just about that one line. But here's the point it's making. It's saying, you've been freed. You've been freed by the cross. Before this, you didn't have a choice. You were a slave to sin. You couldn't glorify God. But now, because of Jesus, you've been freed. And you have a choice. And more than a choice, you have a draw. Because look at Jesus' next line. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. I, I need to unpack that a little bit. It's kind of the heart of where we're going in the sermon. Uh, when Jesus says that he is lifted up, he's saying crucified. He's not talking generic lifted up. Though, of course, we should generically lift up Jesus. We should lift up Jesus in all kinds of ways and places and in our praise and in our everyday life. But he's talking very specifically about the cross. And we know because the text says that, that he said this to show the manner in which he was going to die. And we, we know this because the crowd understood it. And the crowd was like, wait, 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 wait. The Messiah is not supposed to die. He's supposed to be here forever. We don't, we don't get this. No, Jesus is talking about dying here. When I am lifted up, and this just speaks to the importance of the cross. You see, Jesus on his own is already magnetic, right? We see people, we, Muslims believe in Jesus. They just don't believe in him crucified. Christian nationalists believe in Jesus. They just don't believe in him crucified, and are called a crucifixion. Social gospel people believe in Jesus, but they're not big on the crucifixion. It's the cross that is at the heart of all of this. It's the cross that supercharges Jesus' magnetism. And this is why we urged you at the beginning of the year, I don't know if any of you saw the social media post we did, we said, hey, here's the New Year's resolution you should have. You should make 1 Corinthians 2 to your New Year's resolution. To know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. 
Because that's how you're going to get drawn to him, is, is the cross. That's not just going to draw you, that's going to bind you, it's going to connect you, it's going to hold you. That's what's going to work. But I need to clarify something else. Jesus says, when I am lifted up, when I'm crucified, I will draw all people to myself. I, I want to clarify two points there. I want to clarify first the word draw. You notice the text doesn't say compel. I'm not going to make everybody come to me. No, I'm going to draw them. I'm going to attract them. I'm, you, you can resist. I don't know why you would, but you can resist. I'm going to draw you. I'm going to allure you. But you can say no. I know I'm a Calvinist. I'm not supposed to say that. But both predestination and free will are there. And then I, I want to look at that word all. I will draw all people to myself. And I need to clarify, Jesus isn't proclaiming universal salvation here. He's not saying everybody is saved. He's not saying everybody's going to come to him. He's saying all kinds of people, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, east and west, they're, they're going to come to him, all kinds of people, and they're all going to have the opportunity, but they're going to have a choice, and then he turns now to that choice, and I really want you to pay attention to this last little bit of the text, because what does Jesus say? You are, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Now, if you've been paying attention to John and you go back to John 1, Jesus says he's the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So what's he saying in this passage? Is he saying the light's going to go out? No, that's not what he's saying. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What Jesus is saying is, to his audience, hey, you're only going to have my direct physical presence a little while longer, but he's also saying something to all of us. The light's not going to go out, but the darkness is going to overcome us. It's not going to overcome us. Pay attention to the word. It's going to overtake us. We're going to die. Some sooner, some later. The darkness overtakes you. The light goes from your eyes, and you have a limited time to make a decision. You have this life, maybe just this hour, maybe just this moment, to make a decision to do what? To walk in the light. And I love that phrase, walk in the light. I love it for two reasons. I love it because it implies pace, right? It's not saying sprint. It's not saying run. It, it's saying walk. And a walk is sustainable. A walk is something I can do. A walk is actually life-giving. And, and then I, the other thing I like about it is it implies direction. I can walk in the light. I can walk toward Jesus. Or I can walk toward darkness. And, and 
That's a really easy criteria. I could be a long, long ways from Jesus in terms of the externals, but am I walking toward him? And I could be very close to Jesus in terms of the externals, but am I walking toward him? We need to walk in the light. And if we walk in the light, and if we believe in Jesus as the light, then we can become children of light, meaning that we can be part of this reproductive process, this reflective process. It relates to the seed. As children of light, we reflect light. As a seed, we, we, we become the genetic carriers of the next batch and of the next batch until the whole world is filled with the glory of God. But friends, again, we only have a little time for this because look at the very last phrase of our text. It, to me, it's absolutely terrifying. It says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. I find that absolutely terrifying because us hiding from God goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and they hid themselves in the garden, according to Genesis 3. But here we see that there comes a time, there comes a place where Jesus hides from us. Or at least those who are not his disciples. You only have a little time. Friends, Jesus is drawing you. He's drawing you through the cross. He's drawing you to bring glory to God. He's inviting you to walk in the light of who he is. He's inviting you to be a child of light. And this invitation is for today. Walk in the light. Be children of light. Reflect that light out to a world. Be like Philip and be approachable. And do it all to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you that everybody here was drawn today to hear your word. And Lord, I, I pray that they wouldn't just be hearers, but that they, that they would be doers, that they would decide for you, that they would reflect you, that they would come to you, that they'd live as children of light. Lord, I, I pray that, that, Lord, they would be your people. and that you would use them to draw still more people to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.